Today on the show, I'm happy to have Chris Bokikio. He's the VP of Operations at Gen AI. They discuss you go there to discover, learn, and grow all about the generative AI world. And we were just talking about you got laid off in January from Google and how that's led to the new things here in AI. So tell us about that yeah. experience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Chad. Yeah, it was pretty startling. It was my first time being laid off. I'd been at Google for almost nine years. And I came out of that after working in our data analytics and AI team on our go-to-market side. And I was just looking around and I, it was a little bit of a shock at first. And then working with a lot of folks I had in my past, uh, got connected with a couple of different startups and one of them being the generative AI community. And it was this really amazing place where I saw this opportunity to really help people understand what is generative AI, how is it going to help them? How is it going to really change? And I know there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hyperbole around AI and generative AI. What can it do? Something that really solidified it for me was I was hanging out with my wife the other day and she's like, what is it that you're doing? I don't understand this AI thing. She's like, there, love my wife to death, but not a technologist. And so I showed her and I was like, hey, let's play around. Let's experiment. And so a couple of weeks ago, I had her plan a trip to Napa using generative AI, using Google Bard, just given that it's connection to all of the Google search functionality. And she was blown away. And then today she needed to write a really important email and she used it on her own. And she's like, this is so not scary anymore. I can just, I can do this. I can understand it. And to be honest, that's been the moments for me on the individual level where this community has got me really excited. And how do we take those types of moments and really expand upon it because obviously everyone that's first movers, they're really interested in generative AI and what it can do. But how do we jump that chasm and start moving to the rest of the population that's still thinking that AI is going to take their job, that AI is going to replace them in some capacity or going to be Skynet? That's not the case. Anyone that's played around with OpenAI or Bard knows we are not anywhere close to general artificial intelligence. But it's those little individual moments that can really help people on a day-to-day -day basis that I find so amazing. And how do we bring everyone on board to that? Not just the people that are the technologists, the people that are willing to go out and experiment and play with these things. That's the thing. Once you understand something, you typically, you don't fear it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have the Skynet situation for several years. No, not at all. But there's so much possibility, I think, for every role, for every job, for people outside in their personal day to day, like to be able to use this to just augment them, to help them in a play in a way that is going to be really beneficial. Obviously, many folks have already started using AI, whether they had a Google Home or an Alexa, when it's okay, right? But this new wave of the transformer technology and large language models. And what I'm most excited about, because I'm a bit of a data geek, I started my career in people operations and really playing with data that way. But how do you make even doing data analysis easier with large language models? And that's like the next evolution. We're already seeing that with code. We're already seeing that with co-pilots and Chirp and all these different coding assistants that are coming out. But how do we take that to the next level to start saying, hey, I want to predict attrition at my company? My HR nerd hat is coming on here, but like, how do I predict attrition in my company? But I don't, I've never done machine learning models before. I don't know what a regression mo model is or a K nearest neighbors model might be. Like, what am I even doing? I think that next evolution is going to be even more fun to watch as people start to see the power that will truly be at their fingertips to start to do analysis at the next level and really get more insights about their businesses, 
about the work that they're doing. So I just see so much opportunity for those that feel like they, especially the data side being super scary for them. It's not going to be scary anymore because one, you can't break anything. You're just building things out. And two, you're not going to need to learn how to code in SQL anymore. And understand that because these systems will be able to do it for you. Where would you like to see that technology go, let's say over the next five, 10 years? Ooh, it's a good question. I think for me, where I'm really looking to see the technology go is that personalization. I think everyone's talking about personalization, but personalization in an education format. So I've always been someone that loves to educate, that loves to teach. I talk about that data piece, but when I was a recruiter at Google, one of my favorite things to do was to work with other recruiters who were scared of data or scared of how to build dashboards and things like that. But take that even further. How do we start building individualized curriculum for students of all ages, for learners of any age, to really build out learning paths that are much more individualized, much more focused for what they need? I have a lot of friends and my partner as well spend a lot of time at educational institutions from K through 12. And there's so many. Our education system in the U.S. especially is really built around some gender stereotypes of like boys are, can be really all over the place, right? They just want to go and do and move and work on things. And young girls tend to be really able to sit still more and listen and get that response. And that's always been one thing that's been a struggle for the educational system. So how can we start building out educational paths that are more customized for our youngest learners? And then as we move on, as you start to get really advanced learners that are great at math and they want to get pushed further and harder and faster. And maybe learners that are still struggling because they are much more on the artistic side or much more on the written side. Something I've always struggled with was my written communication. And so JDI has been great for that. But how do we start to help in the education side for everyone to learn, to grow? That's what really gets me excited over the next five to 10 years. And I know governments and educational systems will be slow to really like integrate this technology as they have been historically. I think in the next five to 10 years, there's really going to be, I think, some cool things that we've done, most likely at charter schools or at the university level in research, but that we're going to start be able to build really customized learning paths for students that are still going to meet the standards for testing or taking them to the next level. But students of any age, whether that be K through 12 or even a that into career development, into helping folks transition to the next career that they want. That's what gets me really excited. To those students who are thinking about pursuing a technology career path, what would you say are the biggest three avenues right now that you think have a big opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. I got to, I get to see a lot of this when I was in recruiting. It is the ability. There's, I think a couple big paths that I'm seeing pop up. One is the ability to take very complicated technical things and really explain them, right? If you think from about a B2B sales motion, which is where I was at Google Cloud, a lot of the technologists were either helping customers understand how to build out a solution, a complicated solution, what are all those pieces, or we're really on that implementation. So we built out the architecture, we built out what does this look like, this obviously complicated system of tools and partners and different technologies that are coming in here. And then there's the others that are actually going out and implementing that technology, which takes just as much work because there's always issues that come up in that piece of it, right? And so those, that's one path that, what I always say, that client-focused technologist, someone that can 
sit down, meet with a CTO, meet with high-level folks at an organization and be able to have that high-level conversation, but also have the technical chops to go on to the developer level and be able to talk about the ins and outs of implementation. The other path that I see for technologists and for students that are moving into that path is I had a young man who was just coming out of his master's program and he was like, I want to be a prompt engineer. And I was like, to do what? Prompting to do what? And so what we started to talk, I started to talk with him about this and he was like, I really love security. I was like, great. So you want to be a prompt engineer for security. So where I'm going with all this is it's not so much about the technology itself. Focus on what is the domain that you're really passionate about? And then how does technology come into that? Because there is not a company in the world that doesn't need technology of any kind. Agriculture, media, sports, right? All of them need technology and have different facets of technology that they need. So I think for folks that are looking to, what do I do with all this technology that I know of? Follow the domain, the industry, the whatever you're passionate about and figure out how to bring that technology that brings real business value. That's, I think, the evolution. And that's what generative AI, I think, is really unlocking, that the technology is becoming more and more of a commodity because code can be auto-generated with percent accuracy, right? Data can be understood at a much more detailed level that the domain expertise is actually becoming that much more valuable because one of the biggest problems that we see with I've seen with customers over the years is that their data scientists are in this, there's this one team of data scientists at the company and they're doing all these ML projects and the domain experts, let's say it's a marketing team for a retail, retail organization. The marketing team goes to the data scientist team and say, hey, we want to do some predictions on which customers we should be going after. So data scientists, they build out the model, they make it, they get all the data. Send it back to the marketing team. Marketing says, no, this isn't giving us what we need. And there's this back and forth over and over. The stats I've seen on AI implementation is 12 to 18 months if you don't have anything already. And even a standard project could take three months. Bringing that to home where if you're a marketer now and you know how to use this technology and you know how to implement it, you are that much more valuable where you're not going to a data science team anymore because you know how to do this. You're actually baked into the teams itself. So. Those are the two big avenues that I've seen pop up. I'm sure there will be hundreds of other avenues as well. From my vantage point, that's what I'm seeing. Those are great tips, Chris. I appreciate you coming on and sharing the wisdom. So I yeah, want to thank for you, Chris, for being on the show and thank everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.